Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. The theme of today is that we talk about what our expectations and goals are and how how being more conscious of ourselves, being more realistic about what expectations we have of ourselves and realistic of realistic expectations about how we're going to impact on our loved ones and their behavior allows us to actually be more, um, I would say, in the game that that the, the goal really is for us to make changes and shifts in our own behavior and use the tools of this program, use the 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 basic um, techniques so that we can work over time to change how we see things, how we feel about things and how we interact in the world, which is going to affect ourselves. And then we'll absolutely have an impact on our loved ones in one way or another, but we don't know what that is. And so it's not that we have this actual expectation of them. We just have this kind of hope that as we shift, that it shifts something in the dynamic. So I'm just wondering, people will practice craft and then it doesn't go their way. And I keep trying to say that it's not, we're not doing this to depend on what the other person is going to respond with. And I hear, well, I'm not good at it. I thought I was being, you know, so good at craft. So now I'm going to take a break. And clearly it's not the craft. It's the expectation that if I do this, that is going to happen. And if it doesn't, then I'm just going to drop this. And, and then saying that I'm not good at craft. Apparently I'm not good at craft. He or she didn't go into treatment. No, it's not the craft. It's a personal journey that a person's on. And just having this expectation that you're going to do something and your loved one is going to do something particular. You have an expectation of the person's behavior on the other side of it. Folks that come to us have tried using control in so many ways to make a difference in the lives of their loved ones with addiction, right? And they get somewhere some of the time. I, I think the control, need, the, 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 the reality of the control needs to come down, whether expectations is part of control, I, I'm sure it is. But for me, it's more the bigger issue of you can't control the outcomes. All you can do is start to create the changes in yourself that are gonna resonate and create a change in your loved one. That's one of the things you said. And the other thing you said, Lori, that you've spoken of before is what is your goal? If you can't answer what is your goal um, and if it doesn't line up with what you're doing, which is, you know, I, I tried an understanding statement. He didn't respond uh, and he didn't go into treatment. Then yeah. you've got a, a mismatch of what you thought what that little incremental is. tip strategy would get you. So those two things seem to come out in what you just said. 
I actually think both of those fall under goals because it's like, oh, I'm doing this. So this is but this is my goal. This is how I'm going to get there. And this is the result of it. And I think that people with control issues have a lot of goals and they have a lot of this. Like my goal is to change this. My goal is to make sure that they're OK. My goal is that it, you don't necessarily think of it that way. But that's really the underlying issue is like you have this goal of making this thing happen. And, and actually, Kayla, we do in rest. We do in activity that I put up on a on like a T-sheet. And one side says uh, what works and the other side says what doesn't work. I have everybody come up with what works is not focusing on yourself. What works is not lecturing, not yelling, praying, meditating works, yoga works, exercise works. I mean, just this whole list of positive communication works. And then what doesn't work? It doesn't work to shame, to bully, to, you know, all all sorts of things that don't work. And I will often go up and, hey, can I add my own to? And I will put what works, a knockdown, drag out fight. And then in the what doesn't work column, I'll put a knockdown, drag out fight. And oftentimes, first off, there's always one in the crowd that says at the start, well, what do you mean what works, right? Like, what are we talking about here? And I'm like, okay, so just go with me and just do the activity. But at the end, I'm like, what does this work for? What are we talking about? You all knew and assumed something. And and it's different for every person. Well, what works? What works to calm me down? What works to get my loved one into treatment? What works to, you know, all of these different things. And we take each piece and I focus on the fact that it's so important to know what the goal is. And that's why I put up knockdown drag out fights for both columns, because I'm trying to say that, well, knockdown drag out fights, it works. What does it work to do? It helps me to understand that boy, things are out of control in the family right now. And I need to do something to make a change because this isn't doing what I want it to do, but it is helping me to realize that I need to change. And on the other column, what it doesn't do is it doesn't help to create good relationships. It doesn't help to get my loved one to engage in any form of treatment. So understanding the goal of what it is that you're doing is so important. So and oftentimes family members will come into a rest meeting after practicing a craft skill and they will say to me, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I'm like, what what do you mean it didn't work? And is it this thought that or this idea that you are going to get your loved one to talk to you nicely for the rest of their life, you know, that you were going to avoid arguments or that you were going to be able to get your agenda across. It doesn't work for those things, but what it does do is it starts to set up a trusting relationship. It starts to open up the flow of the communication. Did it do that? Or maybe the goal was just to try a new skill. And did you try a new skill? Yes. Oh, then it did work. Then it did work what it was for what it was supposed to do. 
but kind of having these high in the sky pie kind of expectations of what anything is going to do is going to lead to great disappointment. Well, and if I, when you think about the whole craft model and allies in recovery, what we're looking for is to create behavior change. That's the bottom line here in ourselves and hopefully, and I do use the word hopefully because you have no control over this in your loved one. So behavior change starts with knowing that what you're doing doesn't work. And that's the best thing that you can find out is this doesn't work. And I think that people get really frustrated and discouraged because they try things and it doesn't work. I actually get excited when I try something and it doesn't work because it gives me information. It's like, well, that was not helpful that I need to check that off the list. Although ironically, I think what you're saying, like the knockout, drag out, fight thing, sometimes something does work accidentally and you don't know why. But but I feel like the more options you have, the more the more uh, choices you have on your menu, the more likely that you have a, a possibility of something working. And that's what I like about craft is that there are so many tools that you could be using and I feel like if we could slow it down a little bit and just kind of breathe and then think about what tool would work in this situation or what tool do I want to try in this situation or what tool do I want to practice in this situation? And what what astonishes me is that people think that they're going to try something and the first time it's going to work. And I feel like this is the parallel process with ourselves and the person who's dealing with the substance is They're like they stop drinking or drugging for a day and they think that everything should be better. And it's just the beginning of this other process of trying and failing things, which is why people say relapse is inevitable, because stopping it is just the beginning. And so really, it's like trying things. What works? What helps keep you clean? What helps keep you sober? What helps make you feel calm when you're anxious as opposed to having to use a substance? What allows you to communicate with people? It's we're all doing the same things, though. If you could see this as a parallel process to your loved one and how hard it is to change a behavior, how hard it is to change a dynamic, it allows us to have compassion for that person. It's not so easy. And I also think it does come back to the it comes back to the goal, too. You're less likely to be severely disappointed when things don't work the way you want them to. If you understand that that's not the reason why you're doing that particular skill. So what's the reason that you're doing the skill then? I'm doing the particular skill to affect change. One, a couple of reasons. I'm doing the particular skill because I'm getter, getting better at maybe communication or I'm, I'm getting better at my interaction, meaning I'm being compassionate and caring and I'm being respectful and I'm learning how to communicate in a more positive way. It really comes down to me changing who I am or not changing who I am, but changing how I respond to difficult situations and then not having the expectation that because I'm doing this, that the other person is going to also change in a, in a positive way. Right. And this is where that historical belief of you can't control The other person, you can't control what they're going to do and what they're going to say. But I also think I think there's a missing piece in this in that you can implement a skill 
a craft skill, like let's say a communication skill, and it can go off the rails and you end up frustrated and, you know, and upset and, and angry and you go back to old habits and do something that you're not happy. You're like, oh, I didn't do it. Right. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you did try and, and implement this skill. So pat yourself on the back for that. But also sit down and take notes. Sit down and reflect on what just happened and ask yourself, what did, what did I do well? First, go through what did I do well? Well, I, I just tried it, which is an important piece. And you must have done something that wasn't that was a, a positive step. And then write down what what do I need to tweak about it? What do I need to adjust? Because it's going to come up again and you're going to have the opportunity to try again. And this time being prepared for anything that is going to kind of throw you off balance, be prepared and expect to be thrown off balance again, because that's what this is. It's a process of doing it over and over and over again. And you're not going to be perfect. It's okay to be disappointed, but don't stay in that disappointment when it doesn't go the way you, you wanted, which I think is your agenda. It's your agenda a lot of the time. I just wanted to add that the the throwing off balance is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever totally, totally goes away. You can just diminish it, shorten it, soften it, realize it. You can do a lot of work with it, but you're going to get kicked in the stomach from here till eternity. Just hang on. And the best thing you can do is figure out that that's what's happening each time and, and ask those questions and, and, and look at its characteristics. And that's the pause, you know, we're hoping you have in a lot of areas in your life. I think that's that's an important piece, what you're, ta- what you're talking about. That's module seven, and it's actually practicing. We've talked about this in, in this podcast. That is practicing that break. You might have to practice taking a break and stepping back from the situation multiple times in the situation. You might have to say, oh, okay, it's going off the rails. Ah, that's right. I've got to take a break. Here's some more thoughts that are followed by feelings. First thought, second thought, module seven. And you might have to do that two and three times within one conversation. I I just want to add here that the pause is possibly the most important aspect of this that we're talking about, because as soon as your emotions start getting heightened, that's your indication it's time for a pause. Because if you go with that emotion, you can guarantee that whatever's on the other side of that, it is not going to be good because your emotions hijack your reason and your ability to use any tools. And you go back to old behaviors, old ways. And what I feel like is kind of hysterical, at least for myself. And so the pause is essential with all of the tools that we're talking about, because it's this this basically time out to step back, even if you're with the person and and really kind of assess what's happening to me, what's going on, what am I reacting to? And I actually feel like the most important tools you could use with all of this are the ability to be fascinated and curious about what's happening. What just happened? 
what am I feeling? Oh, that's interesting. What am I reacting to? What, like you said, the word disappointed, why am I disappointed? And I feel like disappointment only comes if you have an expectation. If you walk in with no expectation, you do not feel disappointed because there's nothing to be disappointed about. But if you can step back and just say, all right, my goal is to listen, because I think the communication skills basically are the hardest part of all of this, because I think that's true with all of us. You know, I, I could I could mirror some somebody could speak for a half hour and I could mirror almost verbatim what they're saying. And people will watch me in there and all. I've been doing this for over 20 years. OK, the first time I did it. I got it wrong and I couldn't remember what people said. And I was too busy chatting with myself in my head about how wrong they were, because that's what we do. You listen and you're like, well, wait a second. That's not what happened. And that's really what's going on. And then I realized if I if I quiet my mind and I'm actually focusing on the words that the person is saying, as opposed to how accurate I believe they are, I am much better at listening. How did that happen? I did it enough times to realize that that was my goal is to actually listen to somebody and not try to convince them of something, which was a big shift for me. Because before I I don't know if anybody else has this, but I was very invested in being right and being wise and having all this great information and advice and assessing situations and explaining what I thought was going on. And then I realized in response to that way of dealing with people, people were enraged with me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not very good. Because if I'm right, immediately you're wrong. And so that that was like my head blew up when I had that insight. I love to be right. But if I'm right, you're wrong, then it's a relationship deal breaker. So my job is to really see what you're saying and your version of what's right. OK, and we can both be right at the same time, even if you're going out and hurting yourself and you're hopeless and all of that. You get to be right about that because that's your perception. I don't have to convince you that you're wrong to make you do things in a better way. My job is if I have if I could hold the space for you and you feel like I'm there with you, there's a better chance of you shifting how you're thinking about something than me trying to convince you that you're wrong. I think it's important to know that in the break, and you said something really important, Kayla, in that break, you can recognize that maybe you do have expectations in the situation. I do strongly believe that having your own agenda or having your own expectations of how the other person is going to behave, it's a part of that process. It's a preconceived belief or idea. So you go, right, it's it's a habit, right? You go into the situation with that preconceived ideas, preconceived beliefs, and those are the thoughts that come to the forefront when you get into a situation with your loved one. And those are the emotions that are attached to those thoughts. So you have disappointment and um, taking that break is a moment. And, and as you say, being curious about what am I feeling? This is just a way to process and kind of talk to yourself and say, you know what? Maybe I have an expectation of how my loved one is supposed to be behaving. And maybe this is where I need to, okay, let's think about What's reasonable here and how can I how can I let that go and really listen to my loved one or or whatever, just kind of drop, find a way to kind of manage that expectation a lot better 
And, and really what we're talking about is weaving a whole bunch of skills together into one, into one situation. Which is, by the way, hard work. Really? And so, again, expectation, the Rome was not built in a day. You're not going to be a genius in craft the, because you listen to module seven. It's like module seven, as well as every other one, is information for you to start integrating and playing with and failing. And I don't know about other people, but the more I make a mistake with something, the more I learn from it. Because when if I do it right, it's kind of like when I'm trying to do something with a with anything that's IT, I'm pressing buttons. And if it works, I have no idea how that happened. But if I make a mistake, then I'm like, oh, I know I did that and that didn't work. So and by the way, even as a clinician, the reason that I actually have any competence at this point is because of all the mistakes I made, because I made mistakes and it was so painful for me. And I remember I the first group I ever did. I was co-facilitating with my co-leader who said, "Okay, you're on this week. And this guy started to talk. And what happened was he I I kept saying, oh, I'm going to wait till he stops and then we're going to go on. I don't know if he had like an iron lung machine on, but he did not take a breath. He just kept talking and talking and talking. And he actually spoke for the entire hour. And I was devastated. So I sat down with my co-facilitator and I said, how could you let that happen to me? He's like, well, you were facilitating the group. And he's like, are you going to let that happen again? And I said, absolutely not. And so what skill did I learn? I learned the skill of interruption. Okay. That, that if you, if somebody is going on that you need to interrupt them. And by the way, if you're doing the active listening, the only way to do it well is to interrupt with love because you cannot repeat back some, what somebody's saying if they're going on and on and on and on. So that is the number one skill with active listening is to be able to say, okay, hold up. Let me see what I'm hearing from you. And I feel like that's an act of love because if somebody is ranting, you're not going to be able to do it. So you interrupt them and say, let me just see if I got it. And then you repeat back what they're saying. The same thing with the group. It's like when I interrupt, it's because the group needs to move. And if I let one person take the whole time, it's not good for anybody. So What's the skill? Interruption with compassion and caring. And that's an amazing skill that I would never, ever have learned if I had not failed so, so spectacularly that first time. There's another piece of this, too, I think, because, you know, we really are talking about goals and expectations. There's an underlying goal in here that we don't talk about frequently or an underlying expectation of ourselves. Oftentimes there's this expectation that I'm going to be really good at implementing these craft skills. I'm going to be so good at it that my loved one in an instant is going to change. So so you have this expectation of yourself that you're going to be so incredibly good at this. And it's so important. This is it's 70% success is what you're looking for. 70% success is the wonderful kind of spot to to land in. That's a lot. <laughs> but it's not 100%. You know how we do this? A lot of us do this with kids in school and high school and A's, A's. They have to have A's. And if they're not, you know, they're not getting A's. Oh, my gosh, you got to be. 
uh-uh, with craft skills, C's are the new A's. <laughs> it could be a C minus are the new A's. D's are good. That's a really high expectation of yourself to expect yourself to be 100% really good at implementing these brand new skills that are incredibly difficult to learn and implement. It's like joining, you know, a professional soccer team and they stick you out at center and they're like, you're going to be our high scorer. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the first time I'm doing this. Does anybody expect you to be able to score all of those goals? Hopefully not. See, I actually think that Couch to 5K is a good example. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. It's this app that assumes that you've been laying on your couch for five years and then you want to run a marathon. So you don't get up and run a marathon after you've been laying on the couch. So what Couch to 5K does is it teaches you for the first day, you go out for 15 minutes. And I'm making this up because I've never done it because I just walk. But anyway, what happens is you walk for like a minute and then you run for 10 seconds and then you walk for another minute and it tells you, okay, now you're going to walk and then you run for 10 seconds. And the next day you run for, you walk for 55 seconds and you run for 15 seconds. So what happens is all of this is about building up slowly so that you're actually increasing your stamina. That's what I feel like with all of this. That's the, the C and the D. If you practice it, you get better at it. But you have to expect that you're not going to have a clue how to do this. And I love that you're you're talking about note taking because it implies that you have this kind of self-awareness like, OK, when I was trying to listen, what did, what was I actually doing? You know, did I actually listen? Did I interrupt? Did I give advice? Did I you know, did I use my own editorial comments when I was repeating back did I like change the words? There's a million things that people do that are not specifically listening the way I do listening. And wait, I don't mean I do the way I'm supposed to do listening because <laughs> I don't always do it the way I'm supposed to do it. I just know I know the skills. And when I'm like, oh, it's time for me to go into that very clear, non-interrupt, you know, non non-Kayla listening, which is I'm not talking about myself at all at this moment. I'm with you. But I have to be very conscious to do that because it does not come just like, oh, I'm having a conversation. I'm going to do that. Right. Because then I'm interrupting. So it's really I think this is all about self-awareness. And what a gift that craft gives you is that if you start doing it, you have this increased awareness of your your stuff and your ways of interacting and your expectations and the goals and your control issues and your feelings that's great and so if that alone is the what you're working with and through that's an am amazing gift and every time we work on those things we change our relationships with other human beings and remember that the craft model is by looking at ourselves and really having more awareness and having more tools, it has an impact on the people around us. And that's all we're talking about. It's like our own work affects other people. So keep your goals <laughs> straight. Even if you have to step back and, and keep reassessing and keep thinking about, well, what is the goal? What are the goals here? What are the goals for myself and really, what are my expectations of my loved one and how can I make them more, how can I make it all more reasonable and make sense? 
maybe next time we need to talk a little bit about radical acceptance. I love that topic. It kind of ties into what we're what we're talking about today. So this was a great conversation. Thank you, Dominique. And thank you, Kayla. Bye bye. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.